From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. A Catholic like Pope Francis has a clear view of what world peace meant in these last few decades in places like uh, Africa or the, or the Middle East or Latin America. Then Joe Biden, who has, has been part of an American establishment that has always centered the worldview on Washington. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Massimo Fagioli. He's a professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, and he's a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist for La Croix International. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages. Today, we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. Massimo Fagioli, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you for having me. So I want to say at the outset, that I was amazed by your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the, in the United States, on many levels. First of all, I learned a lot from it. But also, I just want to say, the election was not that long ago, and the inauguration was not that long ago. But I found that there were events in your book and things that you were talking about that were so contemporaneous, that were so up to the minute, that I almost felt like you were standing at my shoulder typing away as I was reading. And I'm wondering, as we begin this conversation, first of all, how did you pitch a book like this to a publisher? Did you say, hey, I'm going to write this on the bet that Joe Biden will win and we will add in some things coming up to the publication time to make sure that it's as up to the minute as possible? Or did you simply say, I'm going to wait until Joe Biden wins and then did you just type very fast? I know that's an odd question to start with, but I was so amazed by how contemporary and up to the moment the book was. I'm wondering how you pitched this to your publisher. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. So it's a strange story because the idea came actually from an Italian Catholic publisher that contacted me in the fall during the campaign and asked me if I was interested. And originally, this is a project that starts as a book for Italians who don't know much about American Catholicism. And as time progressed, And when it became clear that uh, Joe Biden uh, was going to win or he he was likely to win, it became something else because I understood that there was a need also for Americans to know more about the long history of Catholics and presidential politics in this country. And so very quickly, Bayard uh, became interested. And so it was translated from Italian 
into English, which means a series of complexities because some terms need a translation that is not always obvious. So it was written fairly quickly between the last few weeks of the campaign and the two months after the election. And what readers need to understand and listeners need to understand is that this is not just a book about Joe Biden's Catholicism. If I may, it uses Joe Biden's Catholicism as a lens for understanding the long history of Catholicism in America and internationally. And what fascinates me is that you're bringing in not only the the very fractured political aspects of American Catholicism, but you're also tying it in to the kind of international problems that are facing the Vatican at this particular moment. And so maybe let's take this step by step. So when we talk about Joe Biden's Catholicism, that is a very complex issue to talk about, because for some people, he is absolutely our second Catholic president. And for others, for other American Catholics, he doesn't seem to represent the faith at all. So maybe let's start there and talk a little bit about how are we to describe Joe Biden as a Catholic? This is a very good question, and it's the question probably that I I wanted to talk about in the book, because until the time of John Kennedy, the first Catholic president, the question was, is he or she a Catholic or not? The question now is, what kind of Catholic is he or she? Because Catholicism has become much more fragmented and much more polarized all over the world, in the Vatican, as well as we know from these last few years for Francis, but especially in this country. So so what kind of Catholic is Joe Biden? So first of all, he's an American Catholic because he's born in the golden age of American Catholicism that was exiting the Catholic ghetto and was rapidly entering the mainstream between the 40s and the 60s. And he's an American Catholic in the sense that he's really part of that typical alignment of a 20th century Catholic politics, which meant that if you are a Catholic politician, you run in, in the Democratic Party. So that has changed a, a lot in these last few decades. But for more than one century, that was natural. If you're a Catholic, you're a Democrat. And he's a Catholic who has maintained a balance between a fairly traditional Catholic devotion and piety and a style of praying with modern sensibilities on social issues and on moral issues. So he is a very complex synthesis of an old Catholicism, of, of a 20th century Catholicism, and the 21st century Catholicism. And so this is, it's Catholicism that is typical and it's similar, I would say, to Pope Francis and to Jesuits. And so this is, uh, to American Jesuits. And so this is not a coincidence that he went on Sunday to a Jesuit parish that the Jesuits have become so visible in these last few weeks in the public events because there is really uh, a consonance, a convergence there. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Massimo Fagioli. He's a professor at Villanova University, and he writes for Commonweal Magazine and for other publications. Today we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. 
Dr. Fagioli, you made a comment a moment ago that I want to circle back to. You talked about a kind of golden age of Catholicism and emerging from the Catholic ghetto. I think for listeners who maybe haven't read your book yet, those might be unfamiliar terms. Could you explain what you mean by, first of all, the Catholic ghetto? A Catholic ghetto is, is an expression that is used by scholars of Catholicism, especially in North America to describe that kind of subculture and subworld in which most Catholics lived their entire life, meaning that they were going to their Catholic school, parish school, their parish. They were living in a Catholic neighborhood. Their social network and their friends were Catholics and so on. So this was typical of, of Catholic life in this country, especially with those other countries like the Netherlands, for example, other countries, until World War II and the post-war era, which really meant a redefinition of social boundaries, confessional boundaries, and also physical location of Catholics with the uh, flight from downtown going to the suburbs. And so Joe Biden is born in the early 40s when you start to see a transition from the Catholic ghetto to a contemporary Catholicism that feels more comfortable in mainstream America, that has more access to good education, also because of the GI Bill after World War II, uh, it becomes more affluent. And so it is less about blue-collar workers and more white-collar. It becomes more bourgeois and less marked by the immigrant legacy and so on. And so this all happens between the 40s and the 60s. And so John Kennedy's election in 1960 is a symbol of a Catholic church in the U.S. that has come of age and that no longer needs to be ashamed or be afraid of being Catholic in public life, but with many precautions, as we know from John Kennedy's handling of the Catholic issue. And so this is something that is a, a massive phenomenon that occupies the central decades of the second half of the 20th century. And as I'm hearing your answer, I'm hearing that to come out of the Catholic ghetto, this term that scholars use, is to abandon one's immigrant identity and to integrate more fully into some of the structures and foundations of kind of, to use your word, bourgeois American life or middle-class American life. But one of the things that becomes very clear in your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in, in the United States, is that as Catholics in America began to make that shift and began to adopt more values that kind of mainstream Protestant America would recognize as their values. That began to create friction with the Vatican and friction with the Catholic Church that wasn't until very recently all that comfortable with democracy. So I wonder if you could talk to my listeners a little bit about the frictions that arose as Catholics became more American. Did the Vatican begin to view them as less Catholic or suspiciously Catholic? So this is a complex point because in the 20th century, American Catholics had to face two challenges. The first one was from the Vatican because historically, since the late 19th century with the Americanist crisis, uh, 
the Vatican, the papacy had been very afraid that the Catholic Church in, in this country would become something else, a national Catholicism that was really drifting away from the typical assumptions of uh, the Vatican, of Catholics about ecumenism, politics, democracy, and so on. And so U.S. Catholics had to reassure the Vatican that they were really adapting but not becoming something different. And at the same time, American Catholics had to defend themselves until 1960, until the campaign of John Kennedy from the, the, the accusation that was the opposite, which meant you are, you are Catholic, you are, you are not American enough. And so a huge play would roll the uh, teaching of the Catholic Church until Vatican II on, on the religious liberty, because until 1965, officially, the Catholic Church recognized the freedom of religion for, for Catholics only in Catholic countries. And other countries, they had to navigate a difficult balance between the rights of the majority and of a privileged minority that Catholics claim to be. And so it's a really uh, two-edged sword that Catholics in this country had to use because it was uh, an accusation of, of different directions coming from the Vatican of being too American and of the mainline Protestants and of the establishment of not being American enough. And so this is something that is really typical and also tragic what happens in the campaign of 1928 when Al Smith, the first Catholic candidate to the presidency, is defeated also because of a vicious anti-Catholic campaign that was also waged by the KKK and others. But still, there are very visible echoes in the 1960s. And so on the one hand, you have the election of John Kennedy in 1960, which is a big symbol that something was changing. And in a very rapid sequence of events, uh, the Second Vatican Council, 1962-1965, which is the celebration and the acceptance by Catholic teaching, Catholic theology, Catholic magisterium of some achievements of American Catholics, especially on ecumenism and on freedom of religion. And so here, that is really a golden window of time, which is the highest moment of the success of American Catholics in making a very strong case to the universal church and to the Vatican that the American experience had something to teach to the universal church. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, and he is a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist for LaCroix International. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages. Today we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. We'll be back in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. 
Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying this conversation, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Our guest today is Massimo Fagioli. He's a professor of theology and religious studies at, at Villanova University, and he's a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist at LaCroix International. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages, and today we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. As we're getting deeper into our conversation, there's a set of concepts that you raise in your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States, that I think would be helpful to our listeners today. You begin to draw a distinction between the term secularism and secularity. I think if we could get a quick understanding of what each of these terms means and what their differences are, I think that would be helpful. So maybe let's start with the distinction between secularism and secularity. Right. So that's one of the difficult concepts that it is difficult to translate from Italian or French into English. So here, the difference is this, is that secularism is an ideology that tries to marginalize, actively marginalize, religion from the public square, public life. Because it's an ideology that has a negative view of faith and and religious expression of a faith that says that what matters is only science or objective science, and so the public square has to be free from any influence or any visible presence. Secularity is different because it is, and this is the translation of uh, the Italian laicità, or the certain meanings of the French laicité, which means this, that in the public square, in the modern world, contemporary world, global world, which is multicultural, multi-religious, there has to be a certain neutrality that allows different expressions of faiths to be visible and present and free to express themselves not only in the private space of the home, or the church, or the the sacristy, but in the public square. So now, how to do it, it is complicated because, of course, there are conflicts on moral issues, social issues, ethical issues, but the, the principle is important that the public square has to be shared by those who hold no religious worldview, hold no faith, and by those who have a faith uh, worldview that is shaped by religion. So here, secularism is something that for the Catholic Church is negative 
because it aims at marginalizing the voice and face and the visible presence of believers. So while secularity, if one looks at how Pope Francis has talked about this, can be accepted as positive even by papal teaching, because Pope Francis has said that for the church, it's much better to live in a healthy secularity than in a confessional state, which is officially Catholic. And so this is important because uh, we tend to absorb into the secular as an adjective both what's negative and secularism and what can be positive secularity. I want to make sure that I've heard you correctly. So first of all, thank you for drawing those distinctions between secularism, which you say is an ideology to marginalize religion in public life, and secularity, which is being a good neighbor within a multi-religious public square. But there was one thing that you said that I want to make sure I heard clearly, and that is, I heard you attribute a statement to Pope Francis that it's better to live in a healthy secular state than in a state that has basically a a Catholic religious formation as part of its government. And those are my words, not yours. So I want to make sure that I'm getting that concept correctly. Do I have that right? Or would you say that in a different way? You do have right. You do have that right. So here, Pope Francis said that many times in various remarks, but also more formally in a book that he co-authored as an interview a few years ago with a French political science, Dominique uh, Walton, where he said very clearly, and even a few months before in an interview with uh, the French newspaper La Croix, that historically for the Catholic Church, living in a confessional state, so in a state that tries to enforce on behalf of the church, Catholic teaching in legislation, in policy, on moral issues, for example, marriage or divorce, and so on, it has not been good for the church. And so Hippo Francis said that many times. It was not a lapsus, it was not an off-the-cuff Remark, And so this is something that I know it can sound very strange to North American ears because um, of the very particular history of the relations between religion and politics in the United States. So we know that constitutionally there is a separation of church and state in this country, but there's no separation of religion and politics. So here's secularity. It's something that I believe is going to be more important as we realize that living in a multicultural society, multi-religious society, is not an accident. It's not something that will go away. It is something that we have to learn to live with and then also understand something of, for our faith, what it means to be good neighbors with other kinds of uh, Christians, with Jews, with Muslims, with Hindus. And, but again, I understand that very uh, well that this can sound very strange to North American ears that are used to understand the secular much more as uh, the negative secularism than a possibly positive secularity. 
And when we say that Pope Francis has developed this as an idea, that a healthy secular state is better for Catholicism than a confessional state where the state power is used to enforce Catholic teachings, I wonder, and you begin to touch on this in your book, but let me ask the, the question clearly, did Pope Benedict XVI and Pope John Paul II also share that notion of a robust secularity being good for Catholicism, or were they more in the camp of wanting a kind of confessional melding of state power and Catholic theological power? So this is complicated. So here, for sure, there is a difference between the way Pope Francis has talked about this on the one side and the way John Paul II and Pope Benedict I talked about that also because of the very different backgrounds. So here, uh, Pope Francis comes from Argentina, a very secularized country. Uh, it comes from uh, Buenos Aires, a very large multicultural city. And so his vision is different from the Pope coming from a heavily Catholic Poland or in the case of Pope Benedict, heavily Catholic Bavaria. So there's a difference there. I also have to say that there's a, a difference between the way John Paul II and Benedict have talked about the moral responsibility of the modern state towards religion and the way certain circles in American Catholicism of the conservative or integralist persuasion have talked about that trying to reclaim and rediscover how wonderful was the confessional state in the 1920s, 1930s, even under fascism or in Portugal or in Spain. So I would say that these Catholic conservatives in the U.S. that have an anti-secularity vision, so not only anti-secularism, but also anti-secularity, they are not really the same cloth of John Paul II and of Pope Benedict. So you can see how spread American Catholicism is in terms of two very extreme poles of the conversation. And so here Pope Francis has become really a major concern for Catholics in this country of the conservative persuasion because they recognize that it is very hard to reconcile what Pope Francis is saying on modern state, modern politics, uh, and what they think is Catholic teaching. So what they think is, is Catholic teaching, it was Catholic teaching one century ago, or in the 1930s, 1940s. It is certainly not Catholic teaching after Vatican II, and it's certainly not Catholic teaching under Pope Francis. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, and we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. A moment ago, you used a term, and I want to make sure that my listeners are understanding what you mean by this term. You used the word integralism, and if you could take a moment and define what you mean by that word, that would be helpful. So integralism um, is one typically Catholic way of trying to make sure that Catholic teaching becomes really part of legislation, 
and of policies and of the constitution of uh, the state by making the state an officially Catholic state, which means where, where Catholics enjoy a particularly privileged status compared to non-Catholic Christians, to non-Christians, to atheists, as it used to be in many countries until World War II, any other countries until Vatican II. So that was the usual way for the bishops in, in one country or for the Holy See when they sign a concordat with one particular state, for example, the gold example of, of this was the 1953 concordat between the Holy See and Spain under the dictator Francisco Franco. So it was integralism, meaning that the state accepts this task of enforcing Catholic teaching on marriage, on divorce, on gender roles, uh, on abortion, with the, uh, the power of the state, while, of course, ignoring many other teachings on human dignity and so on. So that was really part um, of the Catholic ideology towards the politics for a long time until the Second Vatican Council, that in a series of different documents has rephrased and re-understood the relations between the church and the modern world, including modern politics, since uh, Lumen Gentium on the church and Godness Pass on the modern world, but particularly in the declaration on the freedom of religion, the Intatis Humanae, so which is the most American of all documents of the Second Vatican Council because American Jesuit John Curtin Murray was a most influential thinker that made a contribution to the document. So all of that ideology of integralism, we thought it was really back in the past until recently. But in these last few years, we have seen in the United States especially a revival, a resurgence of that ideology that uh, that tries to be the response against the crisis of liberal modernity and so on. And so this is a real challenge because we know that integralism was one of those things that made possible the Holocaust in World War II, but in my own country, Italy. So we know that Non-Catholic Christians in Italy, Protestant Christians in Italy until the 1950s, they could end up in jail for being Protestant in Italy after World War II, but before Vatican II. So after Vatican II, integralism is no longer really part of uh, Catholic teaching, but some American Catholics are really trying to, to tell us, no, this is still available to us. It isn't, but if you look at some magazines or books or influential voices lately, these are voices that should not be ignored, I I think. 
And I just want to draw the bright line here because I've heard you say it at several points in your answers, but I want to make sure it's clear to our listeners. So when we look at this integralist move, this move in Catholicism that wants to have a confessional state and state power enforcing Catholic teaching and Catholic worldviews, that integralist position has a direct tie to things like Franco's Spain in the 1950s and the authoritarian regime there, but also in your book and, and in your answer just now, there's also a connection between that and fascist Italy under Mussolini. And so I, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly, that there's a danger in this kind of integralist position, this position that resists secularity in Catholicism. And that danger is that it is very comfortable with certain types of fascism. Those are my words, not yours. Have I heard you correctly? And if I haven't, how would you say it differently? You heard me, me correctly. And so this is why integralism after World War II and at Vatican II and after was actively disavowed, even by popes, because they knew uh, how dangerous it had been this mix between nationalist politics and integralist Catholicism, which is something that is typical of Italy and Germany and of France and of Spain in the 1930s, but also other countries, but in a different form has come back recently in Hungary. Viktor Orban is the great hero of U.S. Catholics that are in awe with, with integralism. So I don't think that the past could come back in exactly the same fashion as it was one century ago. But certainly that temptation of using uh, the Catholic tradition and the pre-Vatican II Catholic tradition at the service of nationalist politics, of ethno-nationalist politics, it's still there. And this is something that we should be aware of because it has happened already. And so here Vatican II was uh, a theological uh, and ecclesial event that was reacting and was reflecting on what had happened, especially in Europe, between World War I and World War II. Now, every Catholic thinker, theologian, an influential voice who tries to dismiss those teachings of the Second Vatican Council is dangerous because it shows a dangerous dismissal or ignorance of what those theological teachings, magisterial teachings, were meant to do, which means to prevent something like what happened in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. And so it is closer to us than we may think, because after January the 6th assault against Capitol Hill, I think that we should always be careful in thinking uh, these things cannot happen here. The same thing we should think for the Catholic Church. That this thing may happen again in different forms, different ways. And so that's why this is one of the, of the points of the book, which is also a warning against those dangerous, rosy, mythical accounts of what was Catholicism in fascism or in Spain or in Portugal under Catholic dictators. 
If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. He's a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist at LaCroix International, and his books and essays have been translated and published in more than 10 languages. We're talking today about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. We'll be back in a moment. Each week here at Things Not Seen, we dive deep into the tough questions about culture and faith. Questions are a sign of growth, and it's way easier to hear the answers when others join in the asking. That's why I'm excited for our sponsor, BeADisciple.com. It's the social hub for all your spiritual quandaries. One click away at BeADisciple.com. Scroll through their affordable, ecumenical, accredited, short-term online courses, all taught by content experts. Here you'll be in the company of others where it's safe to discuss hard questions. If you have questions and are looking to grow, enroll in a course today and ask away at BeADisciple.com. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Today we're speaking with Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University, and he's a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist at LaCroix International. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages, and today we're talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. I want to lift out a quote from your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. And to me, this quote begins to build on what we've already been talking about so far in the conversation. You write late in the book, Pope Francis and President Biden have one task in common. In different ways, they must explore the meaning and consequences of a world no longer centered on a Western liberal model of civilization. Now, I want to explore that quote because... There's a real horror and danger in that quote in one sense, because if we read that quote in one direction, the Western liberal model of civilization is a history of some of the longest stretches of non-worldwide conflict that we've had. So the I guess there's one reading of that would say the Western liberal model of civilization is the Enlightenment model. But there's another piece of that, and that is we can read the Western liberal model also as the history of colonialism, of uh, soft power exercised around the globe, and Cold War. And so what is the legacy that Francis and Biden are trying to preserve? So I, I think they are both eminent members of the Western Hemisphere. There's no question about that. But they also are very different because one is from the Northern Hemisphere, the United States, Joe Biden, and the other from Latin America that has been or that understands itself also as one of the victims of a certain liberal model. The, the legacy of, of colonialism and so on. So I think that they have something 
in common, short term or mid term, which is the best result of these last 60, 70 years of liberal order, which is no world conflict. But there's also a difference there because I think that uh, a Catholic like Pope Francis has a clearer view, honestly, of what world peace meant in these last few decades in places like uh, Africa or the, or the Middle East or Latin America than Joe Biden, who has, has been part of an, an American establishment that has always centered the worldview on Washington, on the United States. So there are differences there. But clearly they face a common challenge, which is the assault against democracy, against constitutional systems, that is very significant because until Vatican II, for example, for Catholicism, the object of constitutional, constitutional rights was not really something that Catholics uh, were supposed to feel strongly about. Vatican II says that constitutional democracy is better than dictatorship. It doesn't say that with uh, so many words, but this is the whole concept that we can see in Gaudium Espes, for example. So here, I believe that there are also different appreciations in the Vatican and in American politics and in the White House right now between what is the crisis of the global liberal model. I believe that the United States still has to understand what is its future in a world that is much more about China and about India than about the Washington consensus. And so here the Vatican, I believe, is much less less powerful and influential on world affairs, but the antenna of the Vatican to, to understand the direction this world is going may be more sensitive than the ones of Washington, D.C. And so here there are long-term differences between what is the understanding of the Vatican for the modern world and Washington's understanding of that or desires or projects. But in the short term, they have much in common because they both face a very turbulent situation because even Pope Francis as the Latin American Pope in these last few years has the political situation in his own Latin America deteriorate very rapidly in many countries. And so uh, both of them really need to reestablish some normal relationship, a multilateral way of handling issues, the end of, of the, uh, the America First or America alone agenda. So this is a good start. But again, I believe that in the long run, the significant differences between the Vatican and Washington will emerge on China, for example, but also on the Middle East, on Africa. I believe we shouldn't fool ourselves in thinking that this alliance will be without tensions.
I really appreciate the thoroughness of that answer, and there's a lot there to unpack. And so as we're moving towards the end of our conversation, I'm going to ask you a series of questions that I think will begin to unpack some of the things that you've laid out in that answer to this question about the view of what sort of civilization and what sort of ideals both Francis and Biden are trying to preserve. You draw a distinction in your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States, between what you call 20th century Catholicism and 21st century Catholicism. Would you briefly explain to my listeners what you mean by that distinction? So uh, the 21st century Catholicism, if we start looking at that from the Vatican as well is much more aware of the need to leave behind a certain assumption on on clerical power, on the dominance of a, a European North American model of the church, and be ready to accept that there are other models in other continents. Uh, it's a Catholicism that has left behind the illusion. Uh, that we can win on social issues, on moral issues. It has accepted the prospect, and in many countries, the fact that the church will always be defeated on some social moral issues. And so that is what Habermas, the, the German philosopher, has called a contrite Catholicism, more humble and more pragmatic, less ideological. And I believe that both Francis and uh, Joe Biden are good representatives of this transition from a triumphalist Catholicism to a, a more realistic Catholicism. So if we look at the vision that is being put forward of Catholicism and government, let's be honest, by both Joe Biden and Pope Francis, that vision of government is in many ways in conflict with a vision of government and a vision of the church that exists in strong fashion in United States politics, but also in the Vatican. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit about some of those counter forces, those uh, oppositional forces that are arrayed against this kind of 21st century Catholicism. I believe that they both face strong opposition forces but in a different way, because here Pope Francis uh, was elected as an outsider, and he still largely governs as an outsider in the Vatican, and that's one of the problems of, of this pontificate, while Joe Biden is the ultimate insider. So he has become president at 78, but after an entire career that was built towards that and until a few years ago, we said, well, it's, it's too late for him. And suddenly he was elected again, but the whole trajectory is there. So they face different positions. And so here Joe Biden um, is facing an incredibly divided, dangerous divided country and a divided party. But I believe that uh, there's a, a, a different ratio in the two uh, administrations. And so certainly they have been elected Pope Francis by the church and Joe Biden as attempts to heal a very polarized uh, church and country. And so the jury is still out for Pope Francis. We don't know what will be the end of this pontificate. 
in terms of I mean, reuniting the church on some issues, and the same thing we could say for Joe Biden. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University and is a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages. We're talking today about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. Well, you say something in your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States, that intrigued me. You said in your book that you see a rough road ahead for Catholic institutions in America, for Catholic schools, colleges, service agencies, hospitals. And I'm paraphrasing here, but I wonder if you can flesh that out for my listeners. What is the danger for Catholicism in the 21st century at an institutional level? What does it need to be wary of? I think we should be wary of the illusion that Catholicism as a tradition, as a, as a community of faith, and as a culture can survive without institutions. I, I know that this may really sound old-fashioned, but I believe that it is hard to imagine uh, a thriving Catholic culture, Catholic church, in this country without uh, the Catholic schools or the Catholic hospitals or a certain level of sacramental life. But this is not to say that the system has to stay as it is. I believe that there has to be some system. And so here that uh, there are huge challenges, which means that so we have a, a, a demographic crisis, which means a crisis all of enrollment for Catholic schools, Catholic colleges, and also for the life of the parishes and so on. So I don't have a recipe for that. My only message is let's not pretend that all those school closures, those parish closures will not affect the Catholic Church in this country in a very serious way. So the message is let's not pretend that closing one-third, one-fourth of the the parishes or one-fourth, one-fifth of the council school is going to leave this church unchanged or even worse, better, because this is not, uh, it's not realistic. So there has to be something more than a downsizing ethics or style in downsizing structures. There has to be an investment in changing structures and in understanding what structures must be kept absolutely and what can be. Because this is extremely complicated. I'm not an administrator, but this is really, it is really part of the picture. So there's not only the threat of integralism and of ultra-conservative abstract Catholic ideologies, there's also on the other side the illusion that the fewer institutions, the better. I I think this is very irrealistic. And so the book is also a warning against the illusion. 
And I want to draw together some of the threads that we've had in our conversation. So what I've just heard you saying is that the Catholic Church will not survive without its institutions, and those institutions are dwindling at this present moment. And there's also a danger that if in the dwindling of institutions, the church then lashes out and says, aha, the state will become our institution and will be our preservation. So there's a danger in growing smaller and having the institutions wither away. There's a danger in grasping for the state as a kind of primary institution of preservation. In that moment of tension, it almost seems like Joe Biden is the perfect Catholic president right now because he's rejected by the institutions of Catholicism that are dwindling, and so he might be able to offer a vision against that which hasn't worked so far and which is dwindling, but he also is not going to be a person who wants to ally Catholicism with state power and bring that integralist or even fascist option. So as I lay out those pieces, have I got the book right? Have I read you correctly? Or would you push this in a different direction in terms of how we are to understand Joe Biden? I think you got that right. So here Joe Biden is a, a synthesis of the old and of the new, of the Catholic that is a product of the cat of that world of, of institution of education and of, of parishes and so on. But on the other hand, yes, a very dynamic relationship so with those structures. It is, I believe, interesting to see his connection with the Jesuits because Jesuits really um, are good in many things, but also in, uh, in keeping certain realism on the importance of institutions and of structures on the one side and on the other side in infusing them and in uh, fleshing out a vision of Catholicism and of the faith that is not dependent on institutions and that is not about maintaining institutions. So here you, you have to have both, I, I think. And so his connections with the Jesuits are a symbol of that balance between the old institutional system and the new one that in some forms has to exist and it will be different from the system of of the 20th century but there has to be some space and place where catholics can explore their faiths with other catholics and with other non-catholics but there has to be a space a place not everything can be virtual because we have seen in this last year with the pandemic the difference between what's uh, physical and real uh, and personal and interpersonal and what is uh, it is virtual. So here, I'm very skeptical that the future of Catholicism can be virtual only. Is there anything specific or concrete that Joe Biden could do to help to further this vision of a 21st century Catholicism that you're talking about, other than simply being himself. If you could have the ear of Joe Biden right now, the ear of the president, if you could suggest to him a specific action, would you suggest one? And if so, what would it be? That's a very difficult question. So I believe that it has become evident that the clerical hierarchy of the church are not able right now for many reasons to 
invite Catholics of different persuasions in a moment of unity. So here, I'm not imagining President Biden to call a national synod or a national council as if he was uh, the Emperor Constantine or something like that. But certainly there can be a Catholic moment of unity that can be called or be embodied right now by the second Catholic president, then by the bishop conferences or the bishops. This is, it is my impression that he has the ears of Catholics in this country more than the average bishop. And that is a burden on his presidency, maybe, but it's also a, a gift. And it's a moment that maybe can mean something for the future of this church in this country. Well, Massimo Fagioli, I have to say, I loved your book. I learned so much from it. It is so full of information. It is so clear and readable. And it drew together some of these connections that I think I had in the back of my mind, but I had never quite connected before. I got so much value out of reading your book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. I know that my listeners will too. Thank you for taking the time to write such a timely book, but thank you especially for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. We've been speaking today with Massimo Fagioli. He's professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. He's a contributing writer for Commonweal Magazine and a columnist at LaCroix International. His books and essays have been published in more than 10 languages. And today we've been talking about his recent book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us. <laughs>